Well, again, thank you so much for being here. I want to say thank you to John Ed for an amazing, amazing sermon this past Wednesday night. We worship at Wednesday night at six o'clock in the East Sanctuary, and uh, John Ed brought a powerful message on communion last week, and so when you see him, thank him for that if you were there. Also, you're going to hear some announcements uh, toward the end of the service, but I want to make you, make you aware of a couple of things. This upcoming Wednesday night is a special Wednesday night because we're going to be having our Meskels event. Uh, Meskels, this amazing, beautiful school in Kenya that Fraser was instrumental uh, in starting. They're going to have a silent auction from five to six outside the East Sanctuary. And then we're going to have our service together. And then immediately following the service, uh, we're actually uh, going to be able to hear and see a video. It's about 20, 25 minutes long from the amazing work that God has done at Meskels over this past year. You don't want to miss that. The service itself, though, at 6 o'clock in the East Sanctuary is going to be a night of prayer. It's going to be a night of prayer for the people of Israel and everything that's going on in the Middle East. And so I really want to encourage you. You may not come normally on Wednesday nights, but I want to encourage you to be here this Wednesday night uh, to be a part of that moment. Uh, the most important thing we can do right now is lift them up in prayer. It doesn't stop at prayer, but through prayer, God calls us to action in so many ways. And so please come out and be a part of that night of prayer for the people of Israel this Wednesday night. Also, uh, you know that we are heavily involved in partner with uh, DHR and the foster care program in Montgomery and beyond. And um, we are actually hosting foster care classes right now. Uh, we sent an email out to all of our Sunday school teachers and small group leaders, so I hope you've already talked about this, but there's a need for meals for them as they meet and have their classes. I believe that's Tuesday nights. And so if you'd like to help with that, uh, please just see your small group leader or your Sunday school class teacher, or you can also email Elizabeth Droulette, who is over missions here at edroulette at fraser.church. Also coming up, we have some amazing things uh, happening over the next couple of weeks. Alabama State basketball team is going to be on campus um, actually next Sunday. So if you see them around, please love on them. And then also we have our All Saints Sunday coming up on November 5th, which is a very special and sacred service. But this morning, I want us to jump in. We are continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke, and we find ourselves in Luke 22 starting in verse 24. So if you don't mind, one more time, would you please stand out of respect for God's word? In Luke 22, starting in verse 24, the text says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. And he, Jesus, said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, meaning the people, and those in authority over them are called benefactors but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in, many, in my trials. And I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Just before our passage that we just read, we get this beautiful picture of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. And at that last supper, 
Jesus reveals to the group that one of them is going to betray him. And so naturally, suspicions arose within the group. Each one was wondering, who is it going to be? Some of them probably were suspicious of others, and others probably thought they knew who it was, but the conversation was probably in-depth, but not very public. But now, a debate breaks out on the opposite end of the spectrum. The disciples go from trying to figure out who is going to betray Jesus to now they are disputing over who is going to be regarded as the greatest in the kingdom. Peter is probably saying, you know, I left my fishing business to follow Jesus. Matthew's probably thinking, you know, I left a lucrative career collecting taxes to follow Jesus. Andrew's probably thinking, you know, I was the first one called by Jesus. And Peter, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. Two of them probably say in unison, we are the sons of thunder, whatever that means, right? We do not know how long Jesus let the debate go on. We do not know who got mad at who. We do not know if people raised their voices. We do not know if people got mad and stormed off. We do not know a lot about this dispute. We just know it was a dispute. The Greek word here for dispute is philonikie. It was a philonikie, which means it was a dispute that comes from a place in our heart. It means a love of strife. A love of strife. Some people just love strife, don't they? Just love strife. Feed off of strife. It happens all the time around us. There are certain people that we meet and it feels like every conversation's a battle. What I've learned is that when people feel like every conversation is a fight with you, Number one, they'll stop fighting with you, meaning they'll stop talking to you. But number two, when when people feel like every conversation is a fight with you, they'll stop fighting for you. One of the quickest ways to divide the disciples in this critical hour is to have this dispute happen, have a love of strife creep in among Jesus' followers at this crucial hour as he is headed to the cross and then a tomb. Something had seeped into the psyche of the disciples. And all of a sudden, the disciples began to ask themselves questions like, what could I get out of this? They began to ask questions like, what will I get out of this kingdom that's being established? How will my name be known in this kingdom that Jesus is starting Surely they're thinking, you know, I've put in the past few years of my life. I left my job. I left my family. I've given up things, and I've been faithful since Jesus called. So when is my ship going to come in? When is God going to immensely bless me? All these questions are simply a a different way of asking the question, when can all of this become about me? When can all of this become about me? Jesus goes on and tells the disciples in verse 25, he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, again, meaning the people, and those in authority over them, meaning the people, are called benefactors. Notice that. Jesus tells the disciples that there is a way in which the Gentile world works. And Jesus and his disciples have been watching this take place as they have been occupied by Rome. They know how the Gentile world works. It's been on display in front of them. 
The Gentiles have kings, but in God's kingdom, there's only one king. The Gentiles exercise lordship brutally over the people, but in God's kingdom, it's a kingdom that's built on sacrificial love. The Gentiles put people in positions of authority who are benefactors, but in God's kingdom, it's not your wealth that gets you your authority. It's something different. Instead, God's kingdom is ruled in a very different way, Jesus tells them. It doesn't look like the world. In the world, this is how the world works. The powerful, those who are strong, those who have influence, or those who are manipulative get to the top. Those who have money and are wealthy, they are the ones that get to make the decisions. But Jesus, again, is saying in God's kingdom, it is not like that. Those threats do not play. He goes on in verse 26 and says, but not so among you. Not so. He says, you are a part of a different kind of kingdom. And what he's telling them is that in this moment, this little dispute that you are having, all you're doing is acting exactly like the Gentiles act. That's all you're doing. He says, this should not be so among you. This is not kingdom conversation. Who is going to be the greatest? He says, but not so among you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Notice that Jesus says that in God's kingdom, the greatest has to become like the youngest. The youngest among the people, they have no rank, they have no clout, they, they're not venerated for their past success. Jesus is saying the great in the kingdom are those who go about kingdom work as if they're doing it for the very first time. They are those who go about kingdom work and they just consider themselves among the youngest. They don't want rank. They don't want power or position. They go about their kingdom work as if they're doing it for the very first time because whenever we approach kingdom work as if we're doing it for the very first time, that's when we stay dependent upon the king and his instructions. Notice that Jesus also defines leadership as the one who serves. And Jesus is talking about a particular type of service here. He's talking about a type of service where one waits upon another in order to take care of them. The kind of service that Jesus defines here is where we are waiters. We are waiting upon someone else or other people so that we can take care of them. Many times we think of serving that it just happens in a particular block of time or in a particular time boundaries or a particular place. And all of that is true. All of that is true. But what Jesus is saying about leadership here in this idea of serving gets at that both our serving is strategic, but it's also organic, and you have to have both. Serving in the kingdom is strategic, it's structure. There is some of that to it. There are offices in the church and positions within God's kingdom, absolutely. But there's also an organic serving that we cannot and need not miss. He's talking about here the great leaders in the kingdom. These are the people who stand ready with a basin in one hand and a towel in the other. Ready and willing at any moment when the need arises to wash someone else's feet. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we ready for that moment? Do we find ourselves in that place where, yes, we are serving strategically, but also we stand ready at any moment to serve someone who finds themselves in need? And this kind of needs-based ministry that Jesus is talking about is what sets Christianity apart 
in so many ways. It was this attitude, this mindset that literally took the church from being persecuted by the Romans to them taking over Rome itself. And because it is Christian servants that God uses to serve people and to serve people whenever these needs arise. But please hear me. Whenever we serve, we must do it with both ways. It must be strategic, but it also must be spontaneous. Both of these are needed. Both are needed. There must be a way in which we work with a, on a rhythm within the kingdom of God, but also we have to be ready for those moments when we see a tear in someone else's eye. We have to be ready for those moments when we see someone who cannot do something for themselves and we are there to step in. Jesus says, when we live this way, when we serve in this capacity, when we serve other people this way, that is when the kingdom is advancing and expanding among us. And really this applies to all of our kingdom activity, doesn't it? It applies to everything we do in the kingdom. Everything we do must be strategic. There must be a rhythm to it, but also there is a spontaneous nature to it as well. Think about your prayer life. Your prayer life needs to be strategic. There must be things that you're strategically praying for and praying for every day. I hope you're praying for yourself. I hope you're praying for your family. I hope you're praying for your church or different missionaries or ministries that are going on. So there's a rhythm to it. There's a strategy to it. But then there's also these spontaneous moments of prayer. These moments whenever we become aware of a need and instead of trying to fix it and having the Messiah complex, we should instead go to the Messiah and pray and ask the Lord to move. That same thing is true with, with God's word. There must be a strategy behind how we are regularly taking in God's word, but also there are these spontaneous moments when maybe God jogs our memory and we open up and there's something he wants to say to us, or maybe a moment where we share God's word with someone else. Same thing with giving. Whenever we give, we should give strategically. It's God's tithe, but it's also our offering. And there are these moments where needs arise around us and we become aware of those and then we give to that to be a blessing to someone. Or fellowship. Think about fellowship. We must be intentional about our fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ for mutual encouragement and edification. We, we need to be intentional about that. But then there's also these moments that just pop up. And it, we, we, we need to make sure we're not too busy to where we miss those moments of spontaneous fellowship that we get to have. And again, the same is true with serving. When it comes to serving, there needs to be a, there needs to be a strategic way, a structured way, absolutely, but also we stand ready that whenever we see a need, we're there to meet that need in someone else's life. Jesus goes on in verse 27 and says, he gives them a very practical example. He says, for who is the greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Now, this is a rhetorical question. Jesus knows the answer. The disciples know the answer. And he says, of course, it's the one who reclines at the table. He says, but I am among you as the one who serves. I am among you as the one who serves. I am the example of serving. He, Jesus is saying, I'm inverting this worldly value on its head. And Jesus is telling them, we all understand how the world works. The people who sit at the tables, the people who are waited on, and then there are those who serve. And by the world's standards, Jesus says, those who are being served, they are the ones who are considered the greater. He says, but that's not so in the kingdom. That's not how the kingdom works. In fact, in the kingdom, the roles are actually reversed because the greatest in the kingdom is not marked by how many times you have been served. 
Being great in the kingdom is not marked by how many times you have been waited on. Being great in the kingdom is not marked by how many times someone has delivered something to you. Being great in the kingdom is about how many times you've done those things for someone else. How many times you've stepped in to be a blessing to others in Jesus' name. And when you do it in Jesus' name, Jesus is the one that gets the glory. And here Jesus is not just talking about the actions, but he's talking about something deeper. There's a mindset, there's an attitude that produces Christ-likeness in us. That's why in verse 27, he says, I am among you, so that you will catch this, I am among you as the one who serves. I'm leaving you an example to follow in. And again, the more we engage in this, the more this becomes our heart and our attitude and our mindset, and the more we serve others, the more it comes naturally to us. And we do it not just to get a tip or a compliment, but we do it because we are representing the greatest servant of all to other people. And in that moment when we're representing the greatest servant of all, we are representing Christ to people. It's what it means to really walk in his footsteps. You see, following in Jesus' footsteps is not just an inward journey as we like to make it many times today, but it's also an outward journey where we're using our hands and our mouths and our minds and our feet, all of who we are to represent who Christ is to those around us. Jesus goes on in verse 28 and he says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. He says, guys, we've been through a lot, but there's more to come. He says, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Notice that Jesus clarifies that the disciples have a role. They have an assignment. He says, just as the father gave me an assignment, I've given you an assignment. And he acknowledges the fact that they have been with him through many trials. And anytime you do anything that God has called you to do, anytime you do that, there are gonna be trials. It's gonna be hard. There's gonna be ups and downs and we should not get discouraged. We should simply expect those things. But notice he's saying to them that their assignment is not complete. Their assignment is not done yet. He also acknowledges that his father's assignment for him is not done yet. But while Jesus's assignment will take him to a wooden cross in a stone tomb, it will soon be completed through his resurrection and his ascension. And while Jesus' assignment will end, meaning in his atonement, it will end with him sitting at the right hand of the Father and then one day coming back to judge the living and the dead, the disciples also have a promise here that if they will complete their assignment, that they will reign with him on his throne and judge the 12 tribes of Israel, it says. Now, before we get ahead of ourselves... We don't judge as Jesus judges and will one day, nor should we walk around looking at people thinking, I'm going to be the judge one day and I'm going to get you, okay? Don't do that. That's, that's just really bad. Jesus is saying here what he also says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, when he says, the one who conquers, who completes their assignment, the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquer, conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Romans eight seventeen gives us insight into what this means. Paul writes and he says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, completing our assignment, in order that we may also share in his glory, sitting on his throne. Here, Jesus is not using the word judge to denote legal authority. Here, he's using the word judge to talk about legal standing, and this is very important. You see, we relationally recline with Jesus at his table, relationally, but we legally reign with him on his throne. What Jesus is giving his disciples here through the relationship of reclining with him at the table and legally being a part of his family and reigning with him on his throne, Jesus is giving us a picture of a complete relationship. It is both the intimacy of deep friendship that reclines at the table, but also the legality of belonging, legally belonging as a member of his family. Both are important. Both go together. Both are what are ratified in heaven. And so Jesus says our role in the world, how we serve others, comes from these two realities, these two truths. And the two are, one, that we live in an ongoing relationship with Jesus when we recline with him at the table, when we commune with him. And then two, we must understand that we are legal heirs. We are sons and daughters of the king. That's who we are. And here's the thing. If you're going to serve, you have to understand both. You have to understand both. I serve because I have an ongoing relationship with Jesus and I want other people to have that but also serve because I am legally God's now. I am a son or a daughter of the king. What both of those things do is they help you serve from a place of security. A place of security. See, when you serve and you know who you are and you know whose you are, that's when you're set free to walk in Jesus' footsteps, to take up the basin and the towel and to serve other people because you're not worried about how you are presenting yourself. You're only worried about how you're representing and representing Jesus to others. When we walk around trying to present a version of ourselves that is above others or we're always trying to gain respect from people, we're gonna miss out on the blessing of walking in the footsteps of the master through serving other people because we're constantly trying to make ourselves look good. But serving in the kingdom is about serving from a place of security. We know who we are and whose we are. We're not representing ourselves. We're representing him in that moment. And that's why we have to commit ourselves to this moment and then these moments of serving Yes, there is the moment of strategic serving, absolutely. But there's also the spontaneous serving. Back a few months ago, we handed out these. I know you walked by it quickly. It's okay. These are called serving cards. We actually have some more of them out at the connection points waiting on you. But, uh, and there's also a connect card in the back of your pew, by the way. It has this little line called other on it. You can always write down where you're feeling God calling you to serve. Now, many of you filled these out. Many of you filled these out when we did this in August, and I'm so thankful for that. But, but I want to put this before us again. God has called us to serve strategically in some way. You have gifts and talents 
that other people need. And then also we go out from here and then we live our lives and there are these moments that arise in front of us and we need to be the church, be servants then as well. Absolutely. But I want to put this back before you to say, where are you serving? Every member of Frazier should be able to say, this is the service I go to. This is the Sunday school class or small group I'm a part of. I'm a part of the prayer ministry because every member at this church should be a part of the prayer ministry. Amen. And then this is where I serve as well. You may say, well, Chris, what's the need right now? Well, there's, there's a lot of needs. We need ushers and greeters if you'd like to do that. Ricky's standing right back there in the back, right underneath that camera. He'd love to sign you up. We, we also need people in the parking lot. You see those guys out there in the parking lot, guys and gals, welcoming you in? Again, I think every member should be a part of the prayer ministry. This should not just be a place where we're prayed for, but where we're praying for other, each other, right? Because we're a family, and families do that kids ministry, nursery, the list goes on and on. The truth is every ministry always has a need because the kingdom is ever expanding, always expanding. But here's what I want to leave you with. You may have filled one of these out in August or you may not have, but I want to leave you with this. Whenever it comes to our serving and today's calling, the used to's and the thought abouts do not help you fulfill God's calling for today. Please hear me. I'm speaking to members of Fraser now. The used to's and the thought abouts does not help you fulfill God's calling on your life for today. So many times we say, well, I used to do this. I used to do that. I thought about this. I thought about that. That doesn't help you. Be the servant that God has called you to be today. And so I want to challenge you. Where, where are you serving? Where are you serving? Jesus was talking to his disciples on this day, but it wasn't just for them. Because he's going to give them the great commission to go and teach everything that I've taught you. It's for us as well. And the question is really, where are you serving? Where are you giving your life to? How are you serving strategically? to be a blessing to others? And then how are you serving spontaneously? This matters, it matters. Because our faith is not just about some words or some mental assent or being emotionally moved by a song. That's not our faith. All those things are important and they matter. But our faith is a lived faith where we represent Christ to other people and in so doing the kingdom of God spreads and advances. And so where are you serving? Where is it? I think everybody's going to join the prayer team today, right? Amen? Yes? One thing we need right now in our world, one thing we need right now in our church is more prayer. The Satan, Satan doesn't quit. He's still going. You just look at our education system. You look at what our kids are going through in schools. There's no sense in complaining. We might as well be in the altars praying. Amen? Amen or oh me. Right? <laughs> But where is God calling you to serve in addition to joining the prayer ministry? In addition to being here on Wednesday night praying for Israel, where is God calling you to serve? I don't want you to leave today without asking yourself that question. Where is it? I'm just gonna give you a moment right now just to ask yourself, go ahead, I'll wait. Where is it? Let's be the church that is not just the church in name only not just in name only. And let's not just let 
yesterday's anointing try to be applied to today? It doesn't work. It's already used up for God's glory. Say, God, I need a fresh anointing for today to do what it is you call me to do, and I will do it. I will do it for your honor and your glory. Let's do that. Amen? As the band makes their way up, would you, would you stand? And let's pray. Father, we come right now in this moment as your people in this place. And Father, we say we don't want to live off yesterday's successes. We don't want to live off of yesterday's serving. We want to be present tense right now, active in the kingdom. You've put breath in our lungs today. You've given us our abilities today. You've given us our gifts today. You've given us this place today, and your word tells us that you determine the times and places in which people live, so we know that today is important. And as Paul said, may we make the most of every opportunity. May we not waste this moment to be servants in your kingdom. Lord, the strategic ways that you are calling us, would you do so? The spontaneous moments that you give us, Lord, may we respond boldly. But Lord, may we respond. May we not just be consumer Christians, but may we respond in all aspects of our life. Lord, would you help us today answer the call that today we may represent you to the world. 